Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. I remember years ago I had a, a friend of mine. He was, you know, in our youth ministry at one time. And this was 20 years ago, to be honest. A long, long time ago. And... He was at a place in his life where, you know, he was struggling. And, you know, sometimes sin will cause you to believe lies and things that, you know, are are contrary to the word of God. Amen? Sin will deceive you. Sin will lie to you. Sin will say a certain thing about your life or about your future and your purpose in God. And this particular young man, to be honest, he was struggling in sin. He He was, you know, like the scripture says, like a dog returning to his vomit. Now, I know that's kind of an ugly statement, but, but that's the truth. You know, that was a habitual sin had, had begun to wrap, you know, his, you know, its claws. Satan had begun to wrap his claws around this man's life, and he kept just going on this cycle. Well, the cycle eventually wore him out to where he renounced Christ. I'll never forget, we were like, uh, in the, we went to the same school, and, and, you know, he told me, he says, you know what, man, I just can't do it anymore. He's like, it's all, it's all fake. It's all, it's all, you know, it's, it's pointless. And I told him, I said, listen, man, you have to let the word do its work in your life. You have to let the word of God do its work. You can't just simply be like, oh, well, I'm just walking defeated. I'm just living, you know, this defeated Christian life. I just keep going back to the same old sin, the same old habits. It's nothing's working. I go to church and it just seems like this revolving door. It's just in and out and I never change. We are responsible to receive the word. Amen. We are responsible to receive the word that is planted in our life. But if we do nothing with it, If we just hear it and it goes in one ear and out the other, a lot lot like, you know, when our parents talk to us. How many of you were a rebellious kid? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) But a lot of times your parents will share something with you. They'll say, hey, listen, son, I want you to do this. I want you to do that, daughter. And they give you some advice. They give you some instruction. And you just say, nah, I, I know better. Your flesh thinks it knows better. And your flesh will always lead you contrary to the word. It will always lead you into a place where you fail God time and time again. And did you know something, church? Sin and Satan, Satan is like a python. A python is not this quick-killing, you know, know, snake that's going to just take your life in an instant. It's not like a rattlesnake that when it bites you, the venom just goes to work and you'll be dead in a few hours if you don't get it out. A python works the opposite. A python squeezes its prey and slowly squeezes and squeezes and squeezes until that, that person, that being, that animal, whatever it's killing, it just takes a breath and it takes a breath and it takes a breath until it cannot take a breath anymore. And a python is patient because a python will still kill its prey no matter how long it takes. And Satan, my friends, works the exact same way. You know that the fingerprints of Satan are that he kills, that he steals, and that he destroys. In sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Then Satan will work to kill you even if it takes 50 years. But the effects of sin... The effects of sin are those things that only the word of God, only the Holy Spirit of God can break and bind and get you free and liberated from anything that the enemy would try to throw at your life. But can I tell you something? Did you know that when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a new creation? You became a new creation. But here's the deal. Colossians chapter 3 talks about how every single day we need to come back and we need to crucify the desires of our flesh. Say, Pastor Duke, I feel like I'm stuck in this cycle. It's going on and on and on, and I don't know why I'm stuck in this cycle. Well, listen, you got to wake up every day and crucify your flesh. You have to wake up every day and become disciplined in the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I give you my life, Lord. 
You have saved me. Your blood is washed over my life. I am cleansed and I am made new. But Lord, I choose this day, Lord, to carry my cross, Lord. And to crucify my flesh, Lord, so that I don't live, but who? Christ lives in me. Amen? And so the word church is, excuse me. The word is powerful and the word is very effective. Amen? And I want us to continue in this story because we began here last week in Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. And in Matthew 13, we see this parable. And I'll read it to you one more time and then we'll, we'll quickly just cover these few points. Matthew 13 and verse 3. It says, He told them many things in parables saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Verse 6, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell amongst the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. So let's just pray for the word tonight. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you, Lord, and we're grateful for your word. And Holy Spirit, open our ears. Let every single heart in this place, Lord, receive the truth of your word tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use me always as your vessel, Lord. I humble myself before you, God, and just let your word minister tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So we learn the first thing about this story and about this parable, and that is this. Number one, the sower is Jesus. So write that down. The sower is Jesus. Jesus is the sower in the scripture. Now, we don't get that from this parable, but in Matthew 13, verse 37, a few verses later... He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. That is Jesus. So Jesus is the one that has come into this, into this earth and into this world. And he's the one that has brought salvation, right? He's the one that's brought the good seed. He's the one that's brought the kingdom of God to the earth. Amen. And so Jesus was out sowing the word of the kingdom every single place that he went. If you've read scripture and you, and, you, and you open up scripture and you read about the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see the life of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he preached the kingdom of God. Everywhere Jesus went, he was preaching the kingdom. He was releasing the kingdom to people. People were healed, amen? The, the people that were demonically oppressed were set free. The people that were, you know, in need of salvation were saved because this is who Jesus is. And there's some things that we need to understand about the sower of Jesus. And that is this, is that Jesus is very generous. Amen? Jesus is very generous. How many of you know the Lord to be generous in your life? He's very, very generous. Amen? And think about this. You know, think about the generosity of God. When did the Lord not heal? Think about that. When did the Lord not heal? Or when did the Lord not, you know, bring salvation to somebody's home? When was the Lord not compassionate? When did the Lord not, you know, address somebody's situation? When has Jesus desired not to bless you? Think about this. What is a sower's job? To sow. Sow means to what? To, to spread the, the seeds of the word of God. Amen. The seed of the kingdom. And so Jesus, everywhere he went, he never took a day off. Did you know that? <laughs> there was people that even when he was nailed to the cross, there was two thieves that were next to him. He was still working. He was still working even in that moment. He was still showing the world the love of God, the powerful love of God. And so the sower's job is to sow. It is to throw seed everywhere. And they don't hoard the seed. Think about this. They don't hoard the seed because here's the deal. There is no seed shortage. There's no a lack of seed in the kingdom of heaven. You're giving away something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And guess what? God has unlimited resources. Amen. 
God is unlimited in everything that he does. He, he, is, he is a God of abundance, and there is no seed shortage. And so we see that Jesus is broadcasting seed with generous abandon. That is where the seed lands is not so much his concern. His concern is that he gets enough seed out there that there would be a bountiful harvest. Now, I want to stop here just for a second because... Every single day, if you are a believer, raise your hand if you are a believer in Jesus, amen? If you have a relationship with God, every single day, you know, the Lord is going to hold us accountable for our day and our life. The Lord is going to account, hold us accountable of, 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 who we spoke of who we spoke to about him. Who we spoke to about his kingdom, about, about life, about, about knowing Jesus as a savior, he will hold us accountable because here's the deal. You're not here in this earth and in this planet, you know, just to do your own thing. You are here to fulfill the plan and the work of God. Amen. We are here for a greater purpose. And the purpose is not just so that we can come to church on a Wednesday night and get blessed. And not just so we can come to church on a Wednesday night and get, you know, taught the word and do nothing with it. No, but it's to be a part of the kingdom's plan. The most humbling thing that I could ever think of is to think that this God would want to include you and me in his agenda. <laughs> that the God of this universe would, would even look at you or me and say, you know what? I can use a person like you. Do you know, church, that the Lord uses a person that has these two qualities every time. Humility and willingness. I say, Pastor Duke, I'm not talented. Pastor Duke, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. doesn't matter. If you're humble and you'll be taught by the Lord, and if you're willing, the Lord will use you every time, every single time. I've seen the Lord do it in my life ever since I was 15-year-old young man. I began to serve the Lord, and, and the Lord, you know, I didn't have anything to offer God. I certainly didn't believe I had anything to offer God, but what I had to offer God was my heart and my life. Everybody has a heart. Everybody has a life. Everybody has something that they can offer to the Lord. But here's the deal. The Lord expects those who follow him and expects those who have received him as Lord to be about the Father's business. Amen? Jesus, everywhere he went, was about his Father's business. Jesus wasn't about his own agenda. Jesus was always about going to the secret place, praying to the Father, and asking the Lord, what would you have me do? And it was from that place of secret, from that place of prayer, where he would go to the Lord, that the Lord would empower him. And the Lord would just infuse the power of heaven over his life every single day, so that when he got from that place with the Lord... The next person that he encountered, if they were demon-possessed, the demons would flee. If, they were, if there was a, somebody that needed healing, he would just simply release the power of God over their life. The Lord wants to use us this way. Amen? But he needs our willingness, and he needs our humility. Amen? Now, I want us to understand this. Jesus continually teaches that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of abundance. Amen? In this Sermon on the Mount, how many of you remember the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus encourages his hearers not to worry about tomorrow. How many of you know that, you know, there's, there's worries that we all have in our life? And maybe somebody walked into this place tonight worrying about something. But Jesus gives us, you know, you know, he gives us encouragement and he gives us peace saying, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what's going to happen in the future. He even says this. He says, the God who takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field will also take care of you. It was pretty stormy last night. Was it stormy at your house? Yeah. I was up at like 12.30, and it was like, you know, it was going crazy at my house. And I have cameras, and I was checking the cameras, and I was looking, you know, and, and, I, and I saw we have a, a sister, um, uh, sister Elvia gave me a birdhouse on Sunday. So, Sister Elvia, if you're watching, thank you for the birdhouse. And it, and it was this little birdhouse, and I hung it on my tree in the front yard. 
Now, I have no idea if there was a bird inside, but that thing was rocking, man. I mean, it was like going like, you know, and it was moving and moving. And I was thinking about it, you know, I was like, man, this lady gives me a birdhouse, and there's a bird that's going to inhabit that little house one of these days. How good is God? How awesome is God that he would think of every single detail? Amen? He would go to the lengths of thinking of every single bird, every single creature, every single thing in all of his creation to take care of it, but yet we worry. Yet we're the ones that are going, God, how are you going to do it? God, how are you going to make a way? Can I share a testimony with you tonight, church, to encourage you? Okay, I'll, I'll say it anyway since nobody cares. <laughs> Man, help me out here, okay? You want to hear about the goodness of God? Amen. So you know that my wife had an operation a, a uh, four weeks ago almost, uh, or a little over four weeks ago. And how many of you know that, you know, whenever you're going to have, like, you know, something major like that, you know, you can tend to worry because obviously it's a, it's a physical operation. It, you know, requires a lot. And, and, you know, for us, you know, there was a, a few factors. It wasn't just her getting the operation. It was how are we going to pay for the operation. And I'd not go into great detail, I'll just say this we didn't have the means to be able to pay for the operation. But she needed it desperately. And we prayed and, and we, we, we asked the Lord and I said, babe, I, I don't even know what to, to say. I don't even know like how to comfort you. All I know is that the Lord knows that you need this. So why don't we just pray and just trust God and we'll just kind of like take a step forward, Right. And so we took the first step, and the first step was actually to talk to our neighbor who we, who my wife takes care of their, of their uh, little one-year-old. And so, you know, we had to, you know, have that conversation and talk to them and say, hey, listen, if we're going to have, if she's going to go forward with this operation, she's not going to be able to take care of your child, and you're going to need to find child care over the next, like, month or so. And she says, when are you planning on having this operation? And my wife said, well, probably in, the, in a week or so. So it's funny that you say that. So my mother-in-law, who comes from California every year, normally comes in the holidays, December or, or, or something like that. Said, so, but this year, she's actually coming in March. Well, how long is she going to be here? Three and a half weeks. So my wife and I look at each other. We're like, man, that's perfect. Three and a half weeks. Really? She's going to be here during that time. So when are you going to have a surgery? Well, I'll try to, and so my wife was telling her, she's like, I'll try to get it scheduled for, to the beginning of the month so it will work out perfect that that baby's going to have child care and she could have the operation. But it gets better. We go to the next step, and the next step is to schedule the appointment and actually, you know, schedule, talk to her doctor and say, okay, it's time to have it done. So we, we talk to the doctor, they set up the date, they get everything ready, and then, of course, now comes the, the, the worrying part. How much is it going to cost? Uh, hospitals are the most expensive hotel that you could ever go to. Amen? Hospitals are crazy expensive. And, and, you know, we're in a place where it was like, you know what? I don't even know, Lord, how are you going to do this? So we prayed and we asked the Lord. And, and, and we were able to kind of negotiate with the hospital because they'll let you do that. And so we negotiated with the hospital. And, and we were able to pay, you know, the first sum of, of money that was, you know, $1,800 or something like that, and then we had to pay another sum of money, and, and we were able to pay that, and God provided that money. Actually, it didn't come out of our pocket. So then we go on, and she has the operation, and then she's in the hospital, and the next day after she had had the operation, there was a lady that came to us and, and had asked us to fill out some forms and some more paperwork and some stuff that they needed to potentially qualify us for some kind of like discount or something like that on the bill that was to come. We were dreading this bill because we knew that it was going to be to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. So we prayed and we trusted God and they released her that Wednesday and we were able to go home and we got home and then about a week and a half later, I think it was a Friday, we, I checked the mail and I, I get the mail and there's a, there's a bill, you know, with the hospital name on it. And I get it, and I, I go inside the house, and, 
and it had my wife's name on it. So I was like, here, <laughs> you know, it's, it's yours. <laughs> it's not mine. It's got the hospital. It's got your name on it, not me. So I hand her this bill, and she sees it, and she's like, oh. She's like, I don't want to touch it. So she throws it on the side, and she leaves it there. And as, it, as the bill was there, we, I think we ate dinner or something. And then later in the evening, she was like, ah, let me look at this bill. So she gets it. She opens up the letter, and, and she opens it up, and she begins to read it. And she goes, oh, my Lord. Babe. Oh, my Lord. And I'm like, what? And she's like, you need to see this. And I'm like, what is it? And she's like, so she hands it to me. She hands me this thing, and I begin to read what this statement says. And this statement says that she owes no money. Not a single dollar. Yes, come on. Praise the Lord. Trust me, I was a lot happier than that. Not a single dollar. Can I tell you something about the Lord? Every single time that I have worried about something, God proves his faithfulness to my life and to me over and over again to the point where I have zero reason to worry. God has done miracle after miracle in my life just like that. And yet sometimes I still worry about what tomorrow holds. And I want to encourage you because I believe the Lord has done the same thing in your life over and over again. The Lord has shown his faithfulness to you. He's shown his goodness to your life. But yet you worry about tomorrow. You say, but God, there's still this. Can I encourage you tonight and tell you, listen, you need to trust in God so much. And if you're worrying about something, you need to recall the faithfulness of God, of how God got you to where you are even at today. Recall the faithfulness of God and remember the promises of God, how he's come through and he's come through and he's come through over and over again. If God would take care of the lilies of the field, if God would take care of the birds of the air, how much more will not the Lord take care of you? He is a good and faithful father, amen? He's good in everything that he does. The word shalom, I want to read that word to you because here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, no one gets turned away. That it means that there's enough healing to go around. There's enough provision to go around. The shalom of God never runs out. That word shalom, it's a Hebrew word meaning peace. But the bigger definition actually means harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. The same shalom is the same of, of, of true of physical food. There is enough. When Jesus was met with thousands of people, and the scripture says 5,000 men, but it doesn't even include the women and children, there was estimated to be over 11,000 people there that day. There was still not a shortage of food. And guess what? Every single one of the disciples, after they had passed out the food in obedience to the Lord, came back with a basket full. You cannot tell me that God is unable to provide for our needs. Amen? Heaven is a place, church, where everyone is represented and nobody is squeezed out because of a lack of room. Imagine if it was like, you know what, heaven, it, you know, sorry guys, we're filling up. <laughs> sorry guys, you know, we're filling up. You know, you missed, you missed your chance, you know, and you're there knocking on the door going, let me into heaven, God. Let me in. And it's like, oh, close the door. But heaven is a place, church, where the Lord is, has made it so vast and so great that in John 14, he says that I am going to prepare a place for you. He's already there. He is already constructing and architecting that place for your life to be with him for eternity. And I want us to understand this. There's no quotas. There's no limits. There's no lack in the kingdom of God. And I want us to understand this very point because this is really important. The sower, Jesus, when he went out to sow the kingdom of God into the nations and into the world, he understood this very thing, and that is this, is that he should never limit salvation by his resources. He should never limit salvation to somebody else's life by the very resources that he had. Because here's the deal. If you have God, you have access to everything. I don't care what it is that you need. I don't care what it is that you're trusting God for. But if you have a relationship with the Lord, there is nothing that the Lord cannot provide for your life. Amen. 
There is nothing that God cannot bestow to your life to provide in a way that you have ever needed. The Lord is so faithful. And here's the deal. The Lord wants us to make salvation available to everyone that we meet. Our job as a disciple is to make more disciples. So as you are listening to the word and receiving the word of truth and you're becoming a disciple of Jesus, it is your job, it is your kingdom's command that you yourself would make more disciples. Amen. It's not the church's job. Okay? I need us to understand something. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the ministry leader's job. It's our job. Amen. That we might be those that make disciples. What does making a disciple look like? Paul lived in such a close relationship with the Lord that he said this, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a true disciple. And if somebody can follow your life and find that it would lead to Christ, then you're doing a great job. Amen? But if somebody would be following your life and find that it leads to the things of the world and other things that don't belong to God, then listen, my friend, you need to become a disciple. And you need to sit down at the feet of Jesus and you need to learn and you need to listen to what the Lord wants to sow into your life. But as we sow the word of the kingdom into the hearts and of people in this world, we can never be discouraged by a lack of his word because God's word, church, never fails and God's word never ends. Amen. John 1 and 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was was God. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. It's endless. It's eternal. Steve Maraboli says this. He said you're frustrated because you keep waiting for the blooming of flowers of which you have yet to sow the seeds. Sometimes we get frustrated in the kingdom. Sometimes we get frustrated in our relationship with God. And we're saying, God, I want this to happen in my life, God. I want that to happen in my life. And he's simply saying this. He said, you're frustrated because you're waiting for something that you never sowed into. The Bible says that God will not be mocked. A man shall reap what he's sown. A man will reap what he has sown. If you have been sowing in the spirit, if you've been in prayer, if you've been trusting God, if you've been fasting, if you've been in the word, if you've been leading people to the kingdom of God, then guess what? You will reap what you have sown, my friend. And that is a crown of righteousness. That the Lord will reward you on that day. But if you've been sowing to please the flesh and you've been sowing to please the sinful nature, the things that make you glad, the things that bring you happiness, the things that are, are fulfilling the desires of your heart, then, my friend, you are not sowing to please the Spirit. And guess what? You will reap what you've sown. Sometimes we say, Jesus, man, I, I, I wish this, Lord. I, I wish that. I desire this. I desire to see that happen in my life. And guess what? We have to be honest with ourselves and say, have we sown into it? We cannot expect to receive something that we have not planted. It'd be a foolish thing to go out into your yard and look into an empty flower pot. There's no dirt, there's no seed, there's no nothing, and think that a flower is going to appear. <laughs> but yet sometimes we do the very same thing in our walk with the Lord. We think that God's going to do something for us, and God's just miraculously going to give us favor for some kind of situation in our life, but we've planted nothing. No, my friends, it's time to plant in the kingdom. Amen? If the sower of Jesus lives inside of you, then guess what? You should let the seed of God flow out from your life. Amen? Because the Lord, Lord said so, and guess what? He has said go, and his word is never ending, and his promises are never failing. Amen? Robert Louis Stevenson says this, Don't judge each day by the harvest that you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. I'll read that one more time. Don't judge each day by the harvest that you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. Think about that. If you are sowing into the kingdom, that's you're doing the work of the Lord day in and day out. Then, my friend, you can expect a wonderful harvest one day. Galatians 6.9 is a favorite verse of mine. It says this. It says, don't be discouraged. Amen. It says, don't, don't be discouraged for at the proper time. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Amen? 
That means if you are doing the Lord's work and you're truly serving God, then guess what? There is a harvest that awaits those who have been faithful to God, and God will prove himself faithful. Amen? The second thing is this. I want to talk to you about the seed. The seed is the kingdom of God. So you can write that down. The seed is the kingdom of God. The seed is the word of the kingdom. And the NIV translates that to the message of the kingdom. But the Greek word is logos or word. That's what it means. Logos or word. And so there's various kinds of soil that this, that this scripture talks about. And the various kinds of soil are different types of people who hear the word of the kingdom or the word of the Lord. Amen. But the harvest, here's the deal, is limited only to one kind of person, and that is this, the person who understands, yields, and bears fruit. That is, the fruit or the yield per person does not have to be the same. Okay? The yield or the fruit doesn't have to be the same. So the scripture says it'll be 30 times more, 60 times more, or even 100 times more in the life of somebody. And so the yield here in scripture is not necessarily important. The fact is, is that the person or the soil producing something is. The soil of our heart, the soil of our life that begins to produce Something for the Lord. The seed is the kingdom. And the seed is the word of the kingdom. Now I have to explain something. This is not the Bible only. Although the Bible would be included in the word of the kingdom. I want us to understand this. The word of the kingdom is that which defines the kingdom realm. It is the call to follow Jesus. To live like Jesus. To act like Jesus. And to behave in a way that is different from the world. See, that's why some people can hear it and it doesn't take root because they're not interested. They don't get it. And just in case they might show up someday and they wake up and they embrace the word, then guess what the evil one does? He comes to snatch away the word. Because if you leave the word of the kingdom there, then it will have a result in the life of a person. Amen? If you receive the word of the kingdom, then it will have a result in your life. But it's also why some people embrace the word of the kingdom with joy. But then when persecution comes, like the scripture said, or public opinion comes about an individual, they'll wilt like a flower in rocky soil. They'll shrivel up and they'll die because, because something came at them that was used by the enemy to attack their heart. The word of kingdom isn't just a surface level dressing, but its roots must go down into our soul to change us and to transform us into the likeness of the Son. So some people hear the word, they understand it, but then here's what happens. They get distracted by the cares and the ambitions of this world, and some have other ideas how life should be lived, and those ideas are incompatible with the idea of God and God's idea of how we should live our life. And so every single day, there's this war that happens with the seed of the kingdom that goes into our life and us receiving it. The enemy does everything in his power to snatch every word of God away from you. Did you know that? Some of you will leave this house tonight and you'll, you'll be like, man, that was such a blessed message. And then you'll kick your coffee table and you'll, you'll hurt your toe. And, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, you just forget about everything that God spoke to you. <laughs> or some of you might get a bad report. You know, something happened to somebody that you love or something happened to, to something in your life or what have you. And all of a sudden it's like the enemy comes and he wants to snatch away the word of God. Romans 10 and 16 says this, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And so we understand something from this scripture. That's not the point who believes it. But the point is, is are you preaching it? The point is, are you living it? The point is, are you telling somebody about Jesus? Because God will give you something always, church. Listen to me. God will give you something in seed form. Think about this. God will give you something in seed form in one season that will reap a harvest in the next. And a lot of times we're asking God for something. We're saying, Lord, I need a blessing in my finances, God. And God's, God goes, okay, I'm just going to give you your regular paycheck. Yeah, but Lord, I need more. And God's like, you have what you need. <laughs> 
plant a seed. But God, I, I want increase in my life. God, I want blessing. I want more than sow into the life of somebody. I can be honest with you and tell you that last, last year was a, was a challenge for me and my family, for my wife and I. And the Lord spoke something to me, and, and, I, and I told my wife, and we, we prayed about it, and I, the, the Lord just told me that we needed to give more. Sounds crazy, right? <laughs> Sounds contrary. You're going through a hard time, and, and you're, you have a lack already in your life, but the Lord said, give more. And I said, okay, God, I'll trust you. Does it make any sense? Seems, seems kind of nutty, seems kind of crazy, but that's the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works in this way that we step out and we make a move of faith and we trust him from that place. And for me, it was to begin to carefully observe and steward what God had already given me. I want us to understand this tonight. This is really important. How many of you get a, a paycheck? Raise your hand for those of you that work. Amen. Praise God. You don't need more. You need to use it better. You need to be a wise steward of what God has given you. Because guess what? God's not going to trust you with more if you can't handle what he's already given you the right way in a righteous way. If you don't take it and just go spend it on whatever you want and go live a life that God doesn't want you to live, then guess what? God's not going to give you more. Because what's it going to do? It's going to eventually destroy your life. But you say, oh, no, but God, if I just had a little bit more, God, I would do this, Lord. I'd give to the church. <laughs> we need to be better stewards of what the Lord has already given us, church. And guess what? The Lord will show himself faithful. So when we pray for something, we ask, Lord, Lord, I need this. Guess what? God gives you a seed every time. It's there. He's saying, pray for it, steward it, water it, take care of it, nurture it, look after it, and guess what? It's going to blossom into something so powerful and so great. The miraculous thing about seeds is that they could yield fruit 30, 60, or 100 times their own size or their weight. A seed is like this little tiny thing, right? The Bible says that if you have faith like a mustard seed, you know what a mustard seed is? A mustard seed is like a flea. <laughs> they're small. Like they're really, really small. It, it, it's, like a, it, it's like a flea. And it says if you have faith even like a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain to be thou removed. And guess what? It's gone. What's the point? The point is, is that oftentimes we want the fruit, but God gives us the seed. And we need to steward the seed well, amen? When given the chance, one tiny seed can produce hundreds or thousands of times more than the single seed that it ever was. What is the fruit? The fruit is always the reproduction of its kind. Amen? It's the reproduction of its kind. If you're looking for a particular fruit in your life, then guess what? You need to plant the seed. You say, Lord, I want to be more loving, God, than love others. Amen? God, I want to be more humble than bow down before God. God, I want to see this fruit in my life. God, I want to be more generous, God, than give already. What are you waiting for? He's already given you the ability to do so. The seed is already within your grasp. That's what seeds do. They contain a potential of abundance. They contain a potential of the kingdom of God. And an abundance church will always overflow from those good seeds that we plant. Ecclesiastes 11 and 6 says this, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle. Everybody know what idle hands means? That means like at a standstill. They're not working, they're not moving. And can I, I'll just stop and say this. The Lord blesses work. Amen. Everybody say amen. The Lord blesses work. Amen. He really does. It's been established since the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 1 that the Lord said that we would subdue the earth. We would be fruitful and multiply. And there's something that goes into the work and the labor of a man's hands, of a woman's hands, that the Lord honors and blesses. Amen? It says, sow your seed in the morning and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed. 
Whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 is this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly. Sparingly means, you know, just a little bit, right? Whoever sows just a little will also reap just a little. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so you take care of the sowing and God will take care of the growing in your life. Amen? You take care of the very thing that the Lord has asked you to do and the very thing that he has asked you to share. And guess what? The Lord will make it grow. And if it is his seed, it will grow. If it's our seed, listen to me carefully, it cannot reproduce a supernatural harvest. If it was just your seed, if it was just your effort, if it was just your you know, desire to do something, it cannot produce a spiritual and supernatural harvest. In Matthew 21, and I'll, I'll probably wrap it up with this. And next week we'll talk about the soil. But in Matthew 21, there's a story of the fig tree. And Jesus, he sees this fig tree, and this fig tree has nothing but leaves. You know, and, and it's a fig tree, right? <laughs> like it should have figs on it. <laughs> You know, how many of you would want to go to an apple tree and just see leaves, right? No, you went to an apple tree because it's supposed to have apples on it. And Jesus, the scripture says that he sees this fig tree and he sees that it just has leaves on it. And he speaks to that tree and he curses it. You might be thinking like, well, why did he curse this fig tree? And to be honest, it actually, it, it, it's proven in scripture that this that this particular fig tree wasn't even supposed to be in season. It wasn't even supposed to be producing figs. Because how many of you know, like, you know, apples only grow out of the apple tree at a certain time of the year, right? They're not just, like, continually reproducing apples. And so Jesus goes to this fig tree, and he sees that it's nothing but leaves, and it didn't matter this season, but he curses the fig tree, and he, he casts it down. And again, the, uh, the next day, the disciples walk past it, and, and he, he curses it, saying that it would never bear fruit again. And as the disciples walk past the next day, they see that this tree is cursed, and it's withered. It's dried up. And I want to just share this truth with you. Do you want to know why the Lord cursed this fig tree? You want to know why the Lord, you know, saw this fig tree and he was like, you know, he saw that it was nothing but leaves. It was nothing but just, you know, this thing. It was existing. It was alive. But it was not doing what it was supposed to do, which was produce fruit. Did you know, church, that Jesus is the only one that can demand fruit from your life in every season? He is the only one that can demand fruit from your life because guess what? He has given you everything for life and godliness. And if there's something in your life that is not producing godly fruit, it's not producing the very thing that the Lord wants you to produce, then listen. John 15 talks about it. Jesus said, he said, abide in me, remain in me, and I shall what? Remain in you. But I want us to understand the order. He says that you have to remain in him. You remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And he talks about it. He says, I'm the vine dresser, or I'm the gardener, some translations say. And I do two things. I prune the branches that have fruit that they might produce more fruit. And I cut off the branches that haven't produced anything. They might be cut off and that they'd be thrown into the fire that they would wither and die. The Lord is the only one that is able to demand fruit and godly fruit from your life at any time and any season. And it's important for us to never lose sight of this and understand, church, that guess what? The Lord is going to come back for those that bear much fruit. He's going to come back for those that have surrendered themselves fully to him and they resemble the kingdom of God. The fruit that is on their life, the fruit that is, that is flowing out of their life, that is being produced every single day, is godly fruit. It's fruit that would please the Lord. It's not just fruit from, from our hard labor. It's not just fruit from things that we've done in this world. Because guess what? We're all producing some kind of fruit. It just doesn't mean that it's of the kingdom. Some of us are really good at producing fruit that stinks. 
It's rotten. It's full of things of the world. It's full of things that, that, that the Lord detests and the Lord despises. But guess what? Unless you remain in him, he is able to prune and he's able to cut. And if you do not remain in him, then guess what, my friend? He has no, he's not going to cut it off your life. He'll let it stay there and it will kill you. But if you want to yield to him and you want to listen to his word and you want to receive the word of God, you come to that place and he says, this fruit I like, but I'm still going to prune it. What does pruning do? Pruning actually multiplies the fruit. How many of you have ever like trimmed a tree or trimmed a bush? You know, when you cut it and you, you, you what are you doing? You're actually cutting off ends of this plant this bush you know and and in the process of doing so there's a million little cuts that take place but after they heal they produce more I have these little green bushes I don't even know what they are but they're just like little shrubs and when we first moved into our house I saw a picture the other day and and we've been in our house for like five years where we live now and and these things were small they were probably like you know like a volleyball like they were little and every year, you know, at least twice a year, like they're those little hedges that, you know, they look like little puff balls. I don't even know how to describe them. And, and every year, you know, I'll see and they start to grow. And sometimes there's a branch that kind of wanders off and there's another one and, and they look kind of weird. And, and I just have this like uh, hedger thing and I reshape them. So I'll just go around and I'll make a nice circle out of it and I'll reshape it. And it looks kind of funny for a little while until it regrows. And when it regrows, I've noticed every single year it went from being about this big. Now they're like this. Nice and green and they're just, woof, you know, they're getting bigger with every single year that passes by. And this is what the Lord wants to do in our life. He wants us to, to produce good godly fruit. But guess what? Pruning hurts. And sometimes pruning is uncomfortable. And sometimes pruning is, is, you know, might rub us a certain way. We might not think that we need to be pruned, but the Lord knows better than us. Amen. The Lord knows what you need in your life. He knows that that thing that if it's not pruned, if it's not taken care of, it's not going to produce that which he desires it to do. And then the other side of it is the, the cutting off. There's things in our life, church, that need to be cut off. I say that in, in, in truth and in love to you tonight. There's things that drastically need to be cut off. Things in our character, things in our hearts, things in our attitudes, the way we treat each other, the way that we treat others in the church, you know, the things that we allow ourselves to get involved in. Listen, there's things that need to be cut off our life. Amen. And those things, church, unless we remain in Jesus, only then he has access to snip away. Only then he has access to, to just take an ax to that thing and cut it off your life. Some of you need deliverance and some of you need just, you know, these freedom from things that have been controlling your life over and over. And you've been stuck in a cycle and you've needed to get free from these things. Listen, you need to come to Jesus and you need to remain there. And I'll say this because the longer that you remain there, the more things that the Lord will find that are dead that need to be cut off. I want us to understand something. Salvation is instant. When you say yes to Jesus and you give your heart to him and you receive him as Lord, it happens instantly. But sanctification is a process. Sanctification takes time. Sanctification is the perfecting work of God's Holy Spirit perfecting you every single day that you would become more and more like, like Jesus and in his likeness. And sanctification is a work that will happen until we meet Jesus face to face. We cannot be like, you know, thinking like Paul said, you know, like, like you know, he had, uh, uh, you know, said, I have not arrived, right? Like he knew and he understood that he wasn't a complete and finished work. And sanctification is, is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And listen, if there is a dead branch in your life tonight that needs to be trimmed off, then give yourself fully to the Lord. Place yourself fully before God and say, Jesus, work on my heart and work on my life, Lord. I don't want to remain the way that I am. God, the things that I've, I've done, the things that I say, Lord, on a constant basis, Lord, I need your transforming work to happen in my life, Lord. 
I can't hold on to these things, Lord, because, Lord, at the end of the day, you're going to check everyone's fruit, God. You're going to see that which we bear. Is it of your kingdom or, of it, or is it of our flesh? You're going to see those things in our life, God, that, that, that you know, have, have grown up. And at the end of the day, is it going to be wheat or is it going to be tares? Is it going to be fruit of the kingdom or is it going to be weeds of, uh, of demonic things that, that, you know, the devil has had over our life every single day? What's it going to be? At the end of the day, I want to be a person, and I believe that you do too, that you want to be somebody that produces good godly fruit for the Lord. That means that when the Lord comes and the Lord returns, he's not going to find you living in shame. He's not going to find you living in a place where, you know, you're embarrassed about the things that you've done and the things that you've said. Because guess what? That's what sin does. Sin constantly pushes us further from God. It pushes us into a place of shame where we avoid other people and we avoid God and we avoid the word and we don't want to get close to God because we know that we've done something wrong. Just like when Adam and Eve failed and they, and they sinned before God, the first thing that they did was they went and they hid themselves. They went to hide from God. They said, God, we cannot let you see us like this, Lord. We're naked. We've sinned, God. And the enemy would want so much in this moment that you would f go from God instead of to God. But I need to tell you tonight, tonight is your night. You need to run to God. You need to pursue Jesus. You need to say, Lord, I come before you, God. And Lord, I have this dead branch that's been on my life, Lord. It's killing me, God. It's weighing me down, Lord. It's, it's heavy over my life, God. And Lord, I can't take it off, Lord, but you can. Your word is alive. Your word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Your word can divide the bone from the marrow. That's what his word says. And the things that we think are right, and the things that we suppose are true, when we weigh them against the word of God, we find out so many times how deceived we were to think that somehow the things that we think are okay are contrary to the word of God. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.